Hello and welcome to episode 74 of Fish Across the Pond, Marlin's UK podcast. I'm your host, Peter Pratt, and joining me for this episode, it's a voice you will all recognize. Fox Sports Florida play-by-play guy and co-host of the fabulous Sev and Geff Live, Paul Severino in the house. How What's are we? going on? I'm great. I'm great. I'm sorry it took me, uh, I don't know, five or six extra months to finally get on with you, but I'm glad we're here. Your schedule has been packed. I know that. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. It, 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 it wasn't at all packed, and then it was really packed, and now it's not at all packed again. That's how yeah. the life works over here. So, I mean, before we get into it, how, how are you keeping busy now? Regular season ends, you're effectively, the job ends there and then, and what do you do? Right. Uh, I go back to my, uh, I go back to my internship as being a husband and a father. Um, and, uh, you know, drop my son off at school and pick him up, uh, every once in a while and, uh, maybe play a few video games from here and there and, you know, watch as the playoffs, uh, kind of wind down as well. And, uh, maybe play a little extra golf here in, in South Florida where it's nice all year round. And, um, and I actually, toward the tail end of our, uh, I guess it was off-season or mid-season off-season or lockdown or whatever you want to call it, probably like late June, early July, I started getting into uh, barbecuing. And I, so oh. I got myself like a vertical smoker and uh, to go along with the propane grill. So just, the, uh, just yesterday, what's the day? Thursday. Yeah, just yesterday, I did, uh, I did some smoked chicken wings. So we did some wing Wednesdays. And then I did a, a brisket over the weekend. I've got, uh, I've got a, a, a pork shoulder waiting to make some pulled pork. So I'm, that's how I try to stay out of trouble as best I can in the off season. Love it. Well, two quick follow-ups. Um, <laughs> the listeners won't, won't see this, but I can see it. Repping rep the Marlins hat. That's have right. You, have you been repping that now? You know, on these school runs as the hat, you know, <laughs> is it always on, right? Absolutely. It's, it's one of about three or four different hats. Um, you're lucky you actually got me in a polo shirt today. Usually it's like uh, basketball shorts, which I am wearing and, uh, and, and like a, a workout type moisture wicking sort of t-shirt. That's the extent of my wardrobe for the next six months or so. So that's about it. Nothing wrong with that. And, uh, <laughs> just on the, on the, on the barbecue inside, just to, I, I feel like Joe Fasaro is, is the man you need to hook into there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. He, we, we did uh, the seven Geff show with, we, we did one with him. I think he was doing wings one day. We did one with Tom Kohler. He was doing a chicken that day. Uh, and I think in the back of my mind, I was always kind of thinking about doing that with all the extra downtime I have and, uh, you know, making it so that my wife doesn't have to cook every single night. And now, you know, it's not the greatest idea to go out to all kinds of restaurants despite the fact that some of them are open. So uh, might as well cook a decent meal at home. So it's nice. It's fun. It gives me something to do. There's, you know, a certain, uh, a certain bit of uh, romance, I guess, with uh, standing out by the grill and, um, you know, having an adult beverage and enjoying the nice weather. So now I just get to do it low and slow instead of, a, you know, 10 minute burger on the grill. Love it. I, I was going to say whether these longer cooking sessions lead to a few more adult beverages um, while you're there waiting, right? I mean, I cook, I cook most evenings in this household and it's typically the trade-off is you do the cooking, but equally the chef needs to be well hydrated, right? So right, right. oiled up, got to get oiled up. Uh, yeah. I don't go nuts only because, you know, some, like the other day I threw a brisket in at like 11 and it was like a Thursday. 
So it's a, it was a little early to get going uh, on Thursday at 11 a.m. You know, even though I'm, I'm in my, uh, my retirement, my six-month retirement here, it's still a bit early. Yeah, I guess so. I guess <laughs> so. It's five o'clock somewhere. Well, it's about 4 p.m. in the U.K. Uh, anyway, so, you know. anyway we, we, we're already going off tangents, which um, was always possible with us too, for sure. But um, one, one other final um, intro question. And... I've just been intrigued, you know, you live and breathe baseball with the guys day in, day out for normally 162, this year 60, the longest short season there's ever been. Um, the Marlins made the postseason this year. How weird is it to have to hand over the keys to the car to the national broadcast guys, right? How frustrating is it for you? That was, that's a great question um, because it is, I, I only wrapped up my third season doing uh, this job with the Marlins, but also, you know, fortunately I'm very blessed that this is my first big league job too. So um, it, it hadn't happened before. I didn't really know what to do. Like, you know, the last, the, my first two years, this season mathematically was pretty over uh, pretty quickly. And uh, unfortunately, and you, you knew that that final day was coming. You go in the clubhouse after the game, you say your goodbyes, and you know that half or less of the team is even going to be on the plane going back to South Florida. Some guys will just, um, you know, I think that we finished in New York my first year in 18. We finished in Philadelphia in 19. And, you know, those guys will just go to wherever they live from that airport in whatever city it is later that night or whatnot. So you don't even see all those guys when you get back to the ballpark at, you know, seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. Um, so it's weird. It's different. And um, fortunately though, I think that, uh, well, for, I'll answer it selfishly first. And while I think that uh, let's see who did the broadcasting Boog Shambi, a uh, friend of the show uh, did the, the uh, wildcard series, uh, Adam Amin, who I don't think I've ever met, but did a fine job for a couple of the games. And then Matt Vaskersian, who uh, broadcast one of the games on MLB network back here in the U S uh, they all did a fine job. Uh, but selfishly, I got a lot of tweets saying, man, I wish you were still doing the games. So I guess my, the, the, the level of, uh, of admiration for me or love for me or appreciation, whatever it is, uh, went up a tick. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I didn't think I got any tweets saying, boy, thank God Paul's not doing these games. <laughs> so that was good. That was good. But, uh, but it's weird, you know, it's weird. And it's, it's exciting to know that they're not, uh, that they're still playing, even though you're at home and, um, you, you didn't see my face cause I kept the screen off, but I was on all the zooms with you. You try to stay as locked in as you can stay, stay connected as much as you can. Um, because, you know, fortunately it has been, and I think we'll continue to be a really good group of players, um, that, that, uh, that we like, we're kind of in the middle, like the broadcasters are kind of in the middle. We're definitely not players. I'll never suit up for the team. Um, and we're not like complete media because we have a little extra access. We see them on planes and buses and hotels and stuff like that. Um, so we're kind of like right in the middle. So we're still part of the family, even though we're on the outside, but also it, it's, it's a weird thing. So it's, uh, but it was good. I, it's certainly pulling for those guys and you, you know them a little bit more on a personal level. So you, you wish them nothing but the best. And having been through the 200 plus losses the last two years, it was, uh, it was good to see them celebrate a little bit. Absolutely. That image, the guys, particularly in, in Wrigley, right? The image of, um, you know, there's five or six of them there sitting on in Wrigley Field smoking cigars. What <laughs> an image that is for me. That was just 
It was perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was good. I, I saw that and I haven't talked to anybody about it. So I'm really just assuming from a distance here. But I think that that was I don't think that any of that was directed at the Cubs. Uh, I don't think any of that was maybe even directed at other teams in baseball. I think a lot of that was just a self-satisfaction of proving a lot of people wrong. And I think that um, I think that for as much as we're around the team, uh, even going back to, you know, the, the Februaries and the marches uh, that I've been a part of it, every team, no matter how good a team is or is supposed to be or whatnot, um, every team has hope in February and March. And every team has a, a renewed sense of hope going into every new season. Um, this one was certainly a different year, but uh, there were, you could tell, and I know the guys talked about it a lot and, and it's true. It's not just a line. They, there was a different vibe uh, in, in camp in, in February and March um, before everything got shut down, of course, but that they were going to do something. And, you know, I'm sure that they'd sit there and say that the goal was to win a world series and that's all well and good. That should be every team's goal. But I think that they're, um, you know, one of their unmentioned goals was just prove people wrong this year. Everybody thinks that you're going to stink again. And everybody thinks that half these guys are going to get traded by the end of July, just prove people wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that there was a lot of that. And as they were uh, smoking their, smoking their stogies outside the first base dugout. I think that there was a little bit of that to it, that we didn't just get here, but we advanced and we advanced doing what, what we do as a team and what they do as a team is they, they can pitch really well and they'll score just enough runs to win. And that's kind of how it went. That is good summary. We're going to, we're going to get to the 2020 season a little bit later. Um, so hold some of them thoughts for now. We'll do what, what I'd like to do though, and um, is just understand a bit more about how did Paul Severino end up in 2018, you know, as the play-by-play guy for the Marlins? You know, what, what that path was like? Like, how, how do you actually get into broadcasting? Like, is there a specific moment where you're growing up or, you know, whatever age it may be and you go, right, that's what I want to do. Like, does that yeah. moment actually happen? It, it did for me. Uh, and I think that there were probably a couple of those types of moments. Um, so when I was a kid, I don't know, five, six years old, seven years old, something like that. I was big into professional wrestling. I love watching professional wrestling, had all the figures, everything else. So you get the wrestling ring and you start doing the announcing for that. And then, okay, well now I move on to some video games and I start announcing the video games and uh, that seemed to be fun. And I'm doing like a little post game wrap up show and everything else. And I'm, sitting there and I'm like, wow, this is fun and this is cool. And I was still young and dumb enough to not really think much of it. And we had a family friend who uh, my, my mother's best friend uh, had a son who was uh, 13 or 14 at the time. So maybe six or seven years older than I was and a little bit more smart and mature. Um, and, you know, I said, uh, are you going to go to college? What are you going to study in college or, or something like that? And he said, I, you know, I think I want to get into communications. I said, well, what the heck is communications? Yeah. And he said, well, you know, all those, those sports broadcasters and all those announcers on TV, like that's what they do. And I'm thinking, wait, that's like a job? Like there's actual people that do that? Like you, I didn't really pay attention to see the people at the beginning of the game. I just kind of heard the voice and I don't know where they came from or what they studied or anything like that. So I said, well, that's like a job. I said, I think I want to do that. Um, and it just kind of stuck as I was seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. And, um, you know, did 
more of that sort of thing. Uh, in high school, we had like a morning news thing. It was like three or four minutes long. So, you know, we shared that a bunch uh, with a bunch of people. So that was like a little on-camera newscast thing up in the library. They broadcast it in the school and stuff. So I would do that. Um, and then I knew that that's what I wanted to do going to college. And uh, the college that I went to is a little north of Boston. And uh, they had a great internship program. So they had an internship program that was your January break of your freshman year, your January break of your sophomore year, nothing your junior year, and a semester-long internship your senior year. So there's three that were built in. I ended up doing four. Uh, the first one I did, they were all great. The first one I did really set the tone for me. I worked with some really great people who I don't think once ever said, hey, youngster, go get me a cup of coffee and keep your mouth shut. Like they were, they all saw that I didn't know everything, but that I wanted to know everything. Mm -hmm. And they were great at um, exposing me to different things or asking me to do little things. Um, and then there were, there, it got to a point in time where at one point somebody said, man, I, I wish you can come back in the summer. And I was like, yeah, I'll come back in the summer. What the heck do I care? I'm not doing anything. I was like, well, you can't come back unless you're getting school credit. And I said, oh, all right. So then I had to go work it out with the school and everything else. And they said, no. And I begged and they said, no. And I begged again. And they said, all right, well, what about a, an independent study? So then I ended up getting two credits for it. So I was able to go back. So I did freshman, January, freshman, summer uh, at that one TV station another TV station, my sophomore year, my junior year, I was the sports director for the college TV station. Um, so I think I, we did some, you know, uh, either local or uh, college sports updates or whatever weekly or something like that. Uh, I did play by play for the football team, for the basketball team and some pregame shows and stuff like that. Uh, and then my senior year, I did uh, another internship at like a regional sports network. Um, and again, they were great too. And then I did a fifth internship that started two days after I graduated that was not affiliated with school at all, but it was for an independent league baseball team in Connecticut. And it was a 92 game season. I think I did 70 of the games. Um, I was, it was unpaid. So I had most of the, I did all the home games. Uh, but when they traveled, I only did the trips that were back and forth bus trips, which were kind of a pain. Um, but if it was like less than two and a half hours or something, they would just go back and forth every day. So like a four game series from New Haven to New Jersey, four days in a row, it was five hours in the bus. Oof. And that's just because just nobody was making money. So I, so I was able to get on those trips and do those games because there was no you know hotel uh, or anything like that. So I was able to get hooked up with that. So I did a bunch of those. And then um, that season ended in September. Uh, mid-September. And then by uh, middle of October, uh, I got a job at ESPN. And I grew up in Bristol, Connecticut, oddly enough, um, which is where ESPN is. And I went when I was 10, 11, 12 years old on summer camp day trip, field trips to ESPN and saw the studios and saw the satellites and saw all the newsrooms and everything else. And I, and for me, Again, I think I was blessed that I was never overwhelmed by the place for as big as it is, as much of a reach as it is. I mean, it's the worldwide leader in sports for crying out loud. So it's everywhere. Um, you know, I walked in there as a 10 or 11, 12 year old 
And then when I went in there as a 21 or 22 year old, felt like I'd been there before. I felt like I belonged. I felt like I was down the street in my, you know, my own neighborhood. Um, it felt like the TV station down the street more than it felt like this, you know, building and this company uh, that has this global reach. Um, so I felt comfortable there and I ended up getting a job in the, in the mobile ESPN division, which if you think about how crazy this sounds nowadays, it was the first that I know of the first sports app where you could get scores and, and news headlines and articles and video clips and everything else. But instead of it just being on an app, I've got an Apple, I've got an Android, I've got all these different types of phones. You had to buy a specific type of phone, an ESPN branded phone wow, to get the app included on the phone. So it was a whole big marketing thing. And, um, but anyway, so I was, my, my job was to write the headlines and come up with something creative for the headlines and, uh, and, and edit the, not physically edit the clips, but just kind of oversee the editing of the clips, make sure that everybody spelled everybody's name, right. And the, the graphics made sense and that the, the cuts, you know, that they didn't just stop in the middle of somebody talking that they, that they edited it correctly. Um, so that's what I did. I did that was my first job there. I did a bunch of different things there. I won't go through them all, but I will bring up this one. I don't know if you guys still have ESPN America. Does that sound familiar? I'm trying to think. So I, I don't know if it launched, but I was definitely doing stuff for ESPN America in 2010. So it was 2010. So basically what it is or was or whatever um, was, so you guys get ESPN over there or some form of it. Yeah. Do they have, first of all, do I have an accent or do you have an accent or do neither one of us have accents? How does that work? Neutral. I think with neutral accents, neutral, neutral, neither one of us have accents. I beg to differ, but that's fine. So when you, when you watch ESPN over there, and this is a real question, do they sound like you or do they sound like me? Uh, they are us it's us, US guys. Okay. So, so back then, I don't know, maybe it's changed, but they had rights issues. So they couldn't just re-air the sports center that aired in the U S everywhere else in the world. They have the different versions because, you know, England might want more soccer, mm -hmm. uh, or less golf or more NFL or less NBA, whatever, however they want. So they kind of have to do it to the region. So ESPN America was a, an, an English speaking uh, ESPN network that aired in Northern Africa, all of Europe, except maybe Spain. I'm not sure, but it, so it was over there. So then every night we would do a sports center and it would air overseas. So we were going on the air at one o'clock in the morning yeah. here which was whatever time it is for you guys, five, six in the morning. And it was like the morning sports center and it would just run all night. And, and so this podcast is not the first time I've been international. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm getting at. I'm, I'm warmed up. I'm warmed I'm up. Bit, um, I'm a little bit disappointed about that fact, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a much bigger star now. How does that, I'm not even a star. Come on. Um, That's not true. <laughs> so, so long story, already long, I did, uh, I was at ESPN for five years, and then I went to MLB Network, I was there for seven years, 
Uh, and then this job opened up and I always knew that I wanted to be the voice of a major league baseball team. Yeah. So that was always in the back of my mind. So that was always what I tried to get myself towards, whether it was in the baseball world or in the play-by-play world or something, but I just wanted, I, I knew what, where I wanted to end up. And I just wasn't always sure of what path I had to chart to get there, but um, so far it's worked. So the, you know, that's the goal. The phone rings at some point in 2017, 2018 from the Marlins, whether it's directly or not, I don't know how that played out, but the Marlins call, or I guess Fox Sports calls, um, did they have to sell it to you? Or were you just like, oh yeah, <laughs> well, I'm straight in, you know? <laughs> uh, so, so how it worked um, was... I had seen online, I had an agent, I no longer have an agent and I did not have an agent at that time. So any contract negotiation I wanted to go through or other job I wanted to look toward, I kind of had to do my own legwork for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had been at, at uh, MLB Network for uh, seven years. I had a three-year contract. I had another three-year contract. I had let my agent go at that point, And then I had negotiated my third three-year contract. So I was now in year seven there, but the first year of my last contract. And I had seen on Twitter that uh, the Marlins were parting ways with their their former voice, uh, TV voice. So I said to my wife, I said, you know, you know, this is what I want to do. Um, is this something? Is this a city? Is this that, that you'd want to pursue? You know, I mean, it, it, there's only 30 of these jobs, so you can't be picky, but some cities and some jobs are a little bit more appealing than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't a situation, again, fortunately for me, that I was, you know, out of work and desperate. I still had two years left on a deal. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that she was on board with it. And she thought, yeah, I mean, that's something that um, that that we can certainly pursue. So I wanted to do it the right way. MLB Network had been great to me. Um, so I, before I made any phone calls to anybody, I, I emailed my bosses at MLB Network and I said, hey, the Marlins job is open. Um, is that something that you'll allow me to pursue with your permission and your blessing? And they said, uh, they said, yeah, just, you know, keep us, keep us up to date on everything that's going on, who you're, you know, not who you're talking to and how often, but if it, if it goes far enough down the road, just keep us updated. Mm-hmm. We just don't, we don't want to find out in three weeks, Hey, uh, I'm, I've got a new job and I'm leaving goodbye. Like they just wanted to know what was going on. So I said, okay. So then I, I started to think, okay, who do I know that can help me out? And this is a, I have to make sure that I say this the right way because it's never a situation where I make a phone call and I say, Hey, Peter Pratt, I know you, you know, me, you get me that job. Okay, cool. Thanks. Click. Like it's not, it's not how it works. But hopefully, if you know somebody, you can then vouch and say, listen, Paul's pretty good. I know you're going to get a lot of tapes, but can you just make sure you look at his and, and, you know, watch the whole two and a half minutes instead of making a decision after 30 seconds? Like, just give them that time, make your decision and, you know, just put in a good word. And it just so happened that I knew all of the right people that again, did not make the decision for me. That was up to the good folks at Fox Sports Florida um, and, and 
what we call big Fox, the, the national Fox decision makers and stuff like that. It was up to them. And, and, and I'm glad that they made the decision that they made, but I, I knew, um, I just knew a lot of people in different spots. I had one of the people that hired me at ES at, uh, at MLB network was like the number two at national Fox, mm-hmm. um, that could vouch for me from, from that angle. Um, I had worked with some people at MLB Network that had worked at Fox Sports Florida. So I was able to kind of get contact information to them and, and be able to reach out to them and, and tell them that I was interested. Um, the, the, the former president of MLB Network was like the number two under Tony Petiti, or he, his name is Tony Petiti, was number two under Rob Manfred um, at the commissioner's office. And he used to be the president of MLB Network. And he's not a guy that you ask favors to is in plural. Like if you ever ask for a favor, it's one, you get like one chance to ask him a favor. And I said, I'm playing the card. And I, I talked to him and, and, uh, and he had great things to say uh, to me about me and, and, and said, whatever you need, I will, I will call and, and talk to whoever I need to talk to. And, and that meant a lot because uh, he's a busy guy. And then, the other one, and I don't know, again, I don't know how far this, this went. I, I still don't know. I frankly don't want to know <laughs> because it, it is what it is. I don't know exactly how much say the Marlins had in any of it. Um, but I do know that I worked closely with Harold Reynolds at MLB Network. And I, I uh, talked to him one night. It was a Tuesday night and we met at a Chili's and we had nachos at 1030 at night. And I said, Harold, I've worked with you for seven years. Um, I love working at MLB Network, but this is a job that I think I'm ready for. And I said, uh, I said, if there's, if there's anything that you can do to help, I would really appreciate it. And when Derek Jeter got married, I heard that there were about 50 people at his wedding. And one of those people was Harold Reynolds. Okay. So, so Harold says, well, what do you want me to do? Call Derek? And I said, Harold, that's why we're having nachos right now, pal. I need you to put in a good word, buddy. So he, he wrote him an, a, a nice text. And, uh, and again, I don't think that any one of the people that I knew that I reached out to, I don't think that any one of those people, you know, put the hammer down and said, hire Paul or else. I just think that I, I happen to know a lot of the right people in the right places uh, that said the right things that, you know, vouched for me. And, and I think that, uh, I, I, I hope that, and I know that, that my performance, I guess made, had something to do with it too. So, um, uh, I think all of those things put together made it, uh, made it so that it was possible for me to, uh, ultimately achieve this dream of being the, the voice of a major league baseball team. There you go. Like you said, there's only 30 spots, there's only right. 30 spots, you know, and, um, what I've seen as well is there's a lot of, you know, the, the longevity is there too, right? They don't come up all that often either. There's not masses of chopping and changing. So, um, but as a, as a, as a kid, when you're growing up, like who, who was your team? Obviously I, I don't, I don't think it was the Marlins, right? I, it was not, I grew up in Connecticut. So that's the other side story to this whole thing that makes it uh, beautiful from my perspective is my dad and his dad were both Yankee fans. So okay. that, so then I grew up a Yankee fan as well. So when I grew up, I would, people would always, what do you want to do when you grow up? I say, I want to be the voice of the Yankees. 
Well, the next best thing to be in the voice of the Yankees is a team owned by Derek Jeter, managed by Don Mattingly. So like it, it, again, it just, there's only 30. I would be blessed and fortunate to have any of them. Um, But this one is especially special because, um, you know, I think that what, what Derek and what Don and and everybody involved want to do is uh, not so much and these are my words, not theirs, but not so much follow in the Yankee footsteps, but create their own path um, of doing kind of what the Yankees have done. And that's being, you know, a, a winner every year or having winning teams every year and winning championships um, on a more consistent basis, even though, of course, the Yankees are a little bit of a drought right now. But, um, you know, you get the point. So I think that they're, they're trying to blaze their own trail right now. And I, I think that uh, for me, it's, it's amazing to do that too. Uh, um, you know, there've been a lot of tremendous voices that have called Marlins games in the past. And uh, you know, hopefully I can not screw up too badly and, and be one of those guys that lasts 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Who knows? There we go. So are you a Marlins fan now? Absolutely. Good you man. crazy? Yeah, Good of course. Yeah, <laughs> I got a horse in the race now. I was just a, a stinking fan before, but yeah, I got a horse in the race. I mean, it. I tell you what, it uh, it it's uh, it's a lot easier to call games when the team is heading to the postseason than when a team is about to lose their hundred and fifth game. We'll put it that way. So, am, am I a Marlins fan now? Yes, yes, sir. Hold on, so <laughs> you're now a bandwagon Marlins fan. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> call it what you will that's fine but uh but no i think that um again i've had and this is gonna this is gonna sound like a cop-out but i've had a uh, an appreciation for all the teams um just because again like you you grow up you're a fan and you can you know go out to a bar and have an argument with somebody but once you get into at least this is kind of like my perspective like once you get to um you know, a, a professional media job. Like once I started working at ESPN, it's not that I, I stopped liking the Yankees, but I couldn't find myself in a barroom brawl uh, fighting over the Yankees and the Red Sox. So you ju- you have to kind of pull back a little bit. And if you're calling a highlight of the Yankees and the Red Sox and here, here's one. So when I was the internship in college, the semester long internship in college, that October was 2004. So the Yankees won the first three games of the American League Championship Series. And I was trying to be professional and be calm and be cool. I'm up in the Boston area. Everybody in the building is Red Sox fans. I'm not, I'm outnumbered like crazy. I'm not saying anything stupid. And then they come back and they win one and they win two and they win three. And then they win game seven. And it was just like, oh my God, this is just ridiculous. And again, you never lose that fandom, but you just, you, you, you have a, a, a different level of it. You know, I still appreciate uh, trying to word this the right way. So when, like when the Marlins won uh, to, to get to the postseason, um, that was real excitement. And that was fandom excitement because mm-hmm. I know that people that are watching have that feeling. And, and as someone who rooted for the Yankees, who was 13 years old in 96, which was prime time for being a, a baseball fan. And that's when you really start to fall in love with your team. They win again in 98, 99, 2000. And it's it, what it comes down to is it's a, it's a connection for me. It was like a connection with my dad. 
Um, so you, I think back to those days fondly, um, and I want people that are, you know, the 13, 14, 15 years old who are watching their games with their dads or, or you know, their moms or grandfathers or grandmothers or uncles or whoever to have those same moments and those same memories. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Ban bandwagon or not, I'm on board, baby. I'm, dri I'm driving the bus now. I'm driving Absolutely. the bus. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, I'm there. I'm co-pilot with you. So don't you <laughs> I'm all for it. Um, just to follow up on you know, that, that moment for the Marlins and what you mentioned earlier, trying not to, you know, calling big moments for the Marlins, not trying to screw it up. Like, how proud does it make you, though, now, knowing that really your voice will be just a firm part of Marlins history now, right? When people look back at when the Marlins clinched a playoff berth in 2020, the yeah. first for 17 years, yeah. they'll hear your voice. Yeah, that... It, it is. And I, I've said it a lot like those. I will never hit a walk off home run. I will never throw a complete game. I will never save game seven of the World Series. I'll never have those moments. Mm -hmm. But if I can do it the right way and put a caption on those moments, then I just hitch my wagon to that moment. And it's, it's again, it, I don't, I hope it doesn't sound selfish, but that's our job. Our job is to like, again, I go back to 96 and I can still, I can still put myself back in that moment. I was sitting on the end of my bed. My father and I were watching the, the Yankees in game six of the world series in my room. Cause that's where they had, you know, won the night before. So you got to do the same thing every day. So on the end of my bed and the ball gets popped up off a of third. And I can still remember Joe Buck say off third Hayes waits and the Yankees are champions of baseball. And I remember jumping up and then jumping into my dad's arms. And you remember those, the, the, the voices and the captions yeah. as much as you remember the moments, you know, there's, there's millions of them. And, you know, I know that that one, it, 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 I will hold it near and dear to my heart for uh, here's a, a bonus. So again, talking about my dad. So my dad uh, passed away in 2003 in November of 2003. So the last baseball game he ever saw was game six of the 2003 world series where the Marlins beat the Yankees at Yankee stadium. And he passed away about a month later um, unexpectedly. So that was the last game he ever saw. And I was, I was 03. So I was 20 at the time. So I knew where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. And he and I talked about it a lot that I wanted to be the voice of a, of a major league team at some point. And then you fast forward all these years later and I'm doing it. I'm actually achieving this goal. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but they have the team that I'm broadcasting for has an opportunity to do something that they haven't done in so long in the same city against the same team that he watched his last baseball game with. Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure that when I made that call, I didn't say for the first time since 2003, mm -hmm. I wanted to say for the first time in 17 years. And the reason why is because my father's birthday was September 17th. So nine seventeen, and every time we'd go to a sporting event or even just lounging around the house, he'd see nine seventeen on a digital clock, and he'd nudge me, and he'd say, "Hey, look, it's my birthday. Hey, look, it's my birthday." So now every time I see nine seventeen, 
even now I look at the clock and I wink and I, and if I, you know, I put my son to bed and it's nine 17, I've said it three nights, three nights ago. I said, Hey, Poppy's saying good night to you. It's nine 17. And so 17 was always like a really special number. So again, it just so happened that it had been 17 years. So I wanted to make sure that in that call, um, that I kind of gave a little hat tip to my dad and, and included him in that call and said 17 years instead of since 2003. So that was all kind of baked into the goodness of that call, I guess. Wow. There's, there's many, many layers hidden yeah. Layer, yeah. Uh, to that call. But firstly, I'm getting emotional here now. So um, I'm <laughs> talking for a, for a little bit. <laughs> just, just on that though, like in terms of big calls, big moments, how, how do you plan? How can you plan for that? Or can you, or do you just pretty much just go off raw, like emotion or instinct at that time? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I honestly, I think it's a little bit of both. I think like where I live, I live about 45 minutes North of the ballpark. So I have some time to think about some things um, and, and maybe play a, a phrase or two over my head and would that work and, and that's it was on the way to the ballpark it wasn't even that day uh it was a few days prior and I just thought wait a second it's, so it's been 17 years I said I gotta make sure that I put 17 in the call somehow and you never know how the play is gonna end up and it's extra innings and it's a double play you can't come up with all these things um you know, I, like, I don't think uh, if I were to, you know, write it down and say, here's what I'm going to say tonight. I never would have screamed at the top of my lungs. There it is. There it is. <laughs> I never would have said, I never would have said that. Like that just, that just kind of came out. But I think what, for me, what I always want, um, and I think this would be the, the same for a lot of guys too, is I, I think less is more too. Um, so I wanted it that, and, and any call really, you, you want it to be crisp and you want it to be clean and you don't want it to overshadow the moment. Um, and sometimes if you get too wordy, as, as you've asked me two questions in 45 minutes, and I preach to you about being too wordy, um, you know, if you get too wordy, sometimes you can trip over your words and you can, the same way that you can accentuate a great moment, you know, it's not going to take the home run off the board. It's not going to, you know, make, make it so that the team loses a championship, but it, it can lessen the moment. Um, and I'm, sh I'm sure that I've had calls in big moments that were lousy. I'm sure I'll have an, another one or five calls that are going to be lousy in a big moment. But I think the hope is that you just kind of keep it crisp and keep it neat, um, get in, get out. And the beauty of TV is that everybody can see it. And a lot of times the best things that you can do as a TV broadcaster is say nothing. There's nothing to be said. Like there was a time, um, God, which one was it? I think it might've been Isan Diaz's home run. It was actually two that I can remember now. So it was Isan Diaz's home run uh, mm -hmm. at City Field in 19. So we knew that we were gonna interview or that Craig was going to interview his dad. So the producer gets, starts talking to all of us in the break and says, all right, Craig, you got the interview, but if he gets his first hit lay out, so Paul can have the call. So, excuse me. So he was, he's waiting for his, his first big league hit and he ends up hitting a home run and Craig stops talking, but the dad just starts screaming and yelling and everything else. 
And, and I said to my producer, I said, I'm not saying a word. If I say anything, it ruins the call. Mm. So, you know, I don't get paid by the word, but I get paid to talk, but I'm like, I'm, it's not going to do anything. What am I going to say? That's going to make this better. And that's always in the back of my mind. Like, what can I say that's going to add value to what people are seeing? And another one of those moments was, uh, was this, this past season when the Marlins were at city field um, and they took the field and then decided not to play against the Mets. So we found out five minutes before, I don't even know if I should be saying this yet, but we found out five minutes before we went on the air that they were not going to play the game, but we, we just, we needed to play it a certain way that, that they were like, like we didn't know what was going to happen, but we had known that that was the plan uh, that they were going to take the field moment of silence, walk off the field and not play that night. Um, so, you know, they take the field and, and whatever, and Todd finishes his point and, and I didn't say anything because by, by the time he was done talking, everybody already had their, their caps off and their heads down and everything else. And, uh, you know, one of our, our producers says, it's a moment of silence right now. And I got back on the talk back and I said to him, I said, yeah, and I don't need to say anything. I, I'm not going to enhance this at all. We can all see that no one's talking. Just leave it alone. Yeah. And so we did. Um, and, you know, I think that, again, that, that, that's what it comes down to. It's just, it's, it's about having some sensibilities about it and, and knowing that you can, you can achieve the goal. I'm doing air quotes now, the goal of, of putting your stamp on a big moment by not trying to put your stamp on a big moment, just do your job, put a caption on the, on the play, the moment, whatever it is, and then get out and then let the pictures do the talking. I mean, Vince Scully is one of the best ever. And Vince Scully, I've heard stories where Vince Scully, like Kirk Gibson's home run in the 88 World Series, he hits the home run, uh, you know, season of the Im Im improbable, the impossible has happened. And he takes his headset off and he goes in the back of the booth and he gets himself a cup of coffee while the, the director's just taking all kinds of shots from the ballpark and everything else. And he comes back and he's just sipping his coffee. He doesn't even have his headset on for like two minutes. And again, it's like, what, what needs, what do you need to say? You don't need to say anything because the people who are watching at home are going nuts and bonkers. They won't hear what you're saying anyway. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's just a, it's, it's a way to step over a, a moment. And I think that it's, uh, it's, it's something that you have to learn. You probably have to make the mistake a few times of stepping over something. Mm -hmm. Um, to, to truly understand that when you say less, you're doing a hell of a lot more than you think you are. Do you think, is there anything you can think of where you, you look back and go, man, I got that one wrong, like really badly wrong? Um, I haven't got any of the top of my head, by the way, so I'm not going to- That's good. That. That's good. That's good. I've, I've got a list of 50 right here. Um, no, I did. There was one. And I don't, and, and I'm not, I don't think I got it wrong, but I will say, I will phrase it like this, that I took a risk. Mm -hmm. um, so it was 2018 and it was May, May, June, whatever it was. It was early enough in the season, in my first season, where I was still, again, trying to get that clock of how long to talk and how long to lay out and everything else. And the Marlins were playing the Braves and the, in Atlanta, and they had a five run lead, I think in the ninth inning, the Marlins did a five run lead in the ninth inning. Oh no. Oh no. Uh, do you don't remember talk, this one? Don't talk to me about this game. 
Right. Do you remember this one? It was, I think it was a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, it was there. Okay, good. So good. We're on the same page. Um, so we get to, uh, they had scored one and two and three and four runs. And I think they had maybe even tied it at this point. I forget exactly, but whatever the, the, the game was, was in the at bat here. So whether it was a one run game or a tie game, I don't remember at this time, but Dansby Swanson comes to the plate against Tyron Guerrero. And, and I, I just made the decision in my head, like, I'm going to see how this feels. I'm just going to see how this feels. This game has fallen apart for this team. Everybody at home is devastated. We've set up every pitcher and every hit. It was like the last game of a four game series, I think. So like we've talked everything about every player we could. There's no more backstories that need to be told. Like the game was the at bat. And so the first pitch of the at bat comes and he fouls it off. And I you know, here's the first pitch and it's fouled away right side. And then I just decided that I was going to lay out for the entire at bat, however long it took. Because, and I just figured I'm going to try it. I'm going to see how this feels for me personally mm -hmm. and how it sounds. But also with all the things that I just said in the back of my mind, like what more needs to be said at this point? Like they've just blown a five run lead in the ninth inning. And, and, and I, I didn't talk. And I think Todd talked for like a, a pitch, like, Oh, you know, that's a good slider. And oh, that one's a little high or whatever. And then he started to feel what I was doing. And then he laid out and then, it, and it went on and on. And I, I actually watched it back well afterwards. And I think it was like three minutes and 37 seconds or something of not talking. But again, and I don't know if I was right or wrong or what, I never got in trouble for it or no one ever really said anything. So again, it might just have been another example of less is more. And again, I'm not saying that that was the best thing I could have done or the only thing I could have done, but it wasn't wrong to have done it or tried it. It was May. It wasn't game seven of the world series. You know, it was, I just needed to try it for myself to, to feel what that's like, to know the clock is ticking in your head, but hold off. Don't say anything yet. And, and also allow the director to do his job and tell his story and show Don Mattingly in the dugout and show whoever pitcher started that inning. He's wiping his brow because he's sweating bullets and show the hitter and show, you know, Guerrero and everything else. And then the first thing I said was when Swanson ripped one down the left field line. And I said, you know, down the line, that one's fair. A run's going to score and the Braves are going to win it. And like, and that was it, you know? And so again, I, I don't know if that was, uh, if it was right or wrong, maybe it was indifferent. I don't know, but I, I'll always remember that because I, I don't, I don't know if that was the day that I grew or matured or what, but again, there's always, you know, we say a lot over here uh, about the, the quarterback clock in the, in the quarterback's head, knowing that the pressure's coming and knowing you've got to get rid of the football. Mm -hmm. And for me, like play-by-play -play guys have to have that clock too. Like knowing how long you can go without saying anything because it's in baseball, it's okay the pace of baseball is such that you don't need to fill every single second. So, you know, 
it's what you do in between the notes sometimes that I think is the genius of the good broadcasters. And I'm not saying that I'm there, but I'm saying that's where I want to get to. And that's my mentality. And, uh, and I think that that was one of those days where I just, I just tried to hold on to the football as long as I possibly could before finally finding an open receiver. And then the way that the game ended, it got picked off and went the other way, but still. (laughs) Such is life. Uh, That's the way it goes. Do you know, now you've mentioned that, I'm going to go back. I mean, that game, it's funny how you you mentioned that one. It's one of the, it's the game before 2020 that's been the most painful game that I think I've watched as as a Marlins fan. Like it was because A, it's Sunday, because what that means is it's a good time for us to watch baseball. Right, right. Sunday night in the UK is always big because we get, a UK friendly time. So we always watch them. And that meltdown, Brad Ziegler, Tehran Guerrero, maybe <laughs> another one, I can't remember, but um, it was just so painful and put me in a horrendous mood for the rest of the rest yeah. of the show. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I'd be, if you have access to that game, I would be curious uh, as a fan to watch that, the end of that ninth inning again and the last couple of at bats. And just and I'm just curious for my own good, for my own scoring. See if you even notice. Yeah, I'm gonna see if I'm you even notice. But don't tell my bosses because then if they realize that they could do games where there's no play-by-play announcer, then I'm in trouble. But, stuff, yeah. but then then I've then I've dug my own grave. But just <laughs> just to, just to, just to, I'd be curious of your thoughts on that as as someone who's watched a lot of baseball and has a, a you know a broadcasting bone in their body to see if you even notice that one. Yeah, we'll do. I'll, I'll let you know. And the listeners equally, if you, if, if you want to go back and listen and, and let Paul know, then, then do it. If you it. want to relive one of the worst games, <laughs> tough please. <laughs> so listen, I mean, you mentioned it a couple of times. This is the bit that I think for me is the really, this is the tough bit where you're there, you've got the headset on. Normal times, you're in the booth, you're up in the booth with, with Holly or whoever it may be at the different times you're watching the game in front of you. So you're watching a game, adding commentary play by play, and there's a strategy behind it. That's what we're getting right. You know, you're, you're mindful of what you're saying and how you say it, when you say it, but equally all that's going on in that headset as well at the <laughs> same time. Right. I mean, like try and peel back the curtain a little bit to kind of, sure. you know, What's actually going on? We can't see or hear that, but for me, it sounds like there's probably chaos going on. There, uh, there usually is chaos, but fortunately, uh, it's a little bit different for me in the play-by-play world than it was in the studio world. In the, and I'll, I'll explain them both as briefly as I possibly can, which is, uh, I'm, brevity is not a good word for me today. Um, but so on the studio side, a lot of times I'm hosting a, an MLB Tonight show or whatever, and I'm on the desk with two other analysts. So I'm driving the conversation. I'm listening to these two analysts either have a conversation with each other, and I'm trying to figure out how, where can I redirect them or how can I get into it or where or whatever. So there's that element. Then we're watching games, multiple games, sometimes eight, nine games at a time on a screen and, and so there's that going on, but only one of those games typically is, is going out to the viewers. So that stuff's going on in the background. We're watching Marlins Braves. We're doing a live look in for Marlins Braves. 
So that's where the conversation is. But then there's a, there's a researcher in my ear saying, uh, you know, Brian Anderson is 10 for his last 20 with three home runs. And I'm writing that down so I can make sure to say it. Okay. And then the producer will say, okay, after this live look, we're going to Mets Phillies and then we're going to break. Uh, and, you know, and so then there's all of that stuff going on. Uh, so now I have much more of a filter in terms of like, if you were to ask that same question to take me to the chaos and you ask my producer, he would have a completely different answer for me because he's like the filter. So he got, he's got all the chaos of everybody in the truck going nuts and take camera four and this and that and what roll green and that. And then, he, and then all he says to us is replay coming. And then that's it. And okay. then we, and then we know the replay's coming. That's some of it. Now there are times when there's chaos going on um, because, you know, I'm someone who, uh, I don't know if I do it to a fault or not, but I, I like to keep my own uh, notes and I do uh, a lot of my own kind of in-game research. We have a researcher and he gives us great information, but a lot of the times I'm kind of either finding it in the moment, or I've been lucky enough to have something prepped for that instance in case it comes up. So you got your eye on the game. Okay. There's a foul ball. I know I've got about 10 seconds to find what I want. Bup, 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 bup. Okay. Now I've got it. Okay. Now I need to, to, to deliver it. But at the same time, the same way your words are less is more, there are moments in the games where less is more. And again, I go back to Braves Marlins. And when they had lost four in a row toward the end of the season in the last game in Atlanta, they needed to get that win, like just to get back in the win column, get a little bit closer to the postseason. Um, you know, the producer reminded us going into the bottom of the ninth inning, he said, all right, guys, less is more here. And again, it's that same thing. It's, it's the end of a series. You've gone through all the backstories for everybody. We know who's hot. We know who's cold. We know the matchup. So it's just, just keep it simple. Yeah. Just keep it simple. And then what happens is, again, if, you, if you're able to keep it simple, you, you brush everything else away and you can get back to what I was saying before. Keep your calls crisp and clean. You know, like if I'm, if I'm stuck and, and it's happened to me before, I'm sure it'll happen again. You, you're in your notes and you're looking something up and you, you know, lose a split second of time and you hear the crack of the bat. And you're not even looking. Again, don't tell anybody. Uh, but you're not even looking, you hear the crack in the back. You're like, Oh man, I got to find the ball. Now it's like, <laughs> that one's in the air. That's like uh, left center field. There it is. Uh, that's going to get down for a double. Like it, it just, it, it happens. And when you, when you can brush all that stuff aside and just stay locked in the moment, that's, that's what's helpful. There, there is chaos. Um, but, but less so, Oddly enough, less so on the play-by-play -play side of things, just because there's already like madness and chaos cooked into the whole thing anyway. Yeah. You know, in a studio setting, a lot it can be a lot more produced. You can produce a lot more. Um, in play-by-play, -play, everybody's just following the bouncing ball. Everybody's doing that. Um, so you you're able to just do that. Just follow the bouncing ball, and and the better that you can do that and stay like in in that moment better off you are what happens though when you know next thing is your i mean this year i guess is different um but uh, so this year you're in an inning talking with derek jeter over the phone right. while trying to watch the game comment i mean how tough is that when you're talking you're trying to interview almost derek jeter 
in right. the middle of the third, you know, top of the third, <laughs> there's a game going on at the same time. That again, I, I, that goes back to the um, the benefit of being on TV, right? Like we, it, with a radio call, like you got to stay on every single pitch and every single action on the field. You need to describe it because nobody can see it. On a, on the TV, you know, there's a ball fouled back or there's a little lazy ground ball to second base. You don't need to announce every little thing that happens on TV. So you have a little bit more freedom that way. Um, and fortunately, all of the guests that we usually get, and it's the same group of, you know, three, four, five different guys that we have on, uh, they're all really TV savvy. So fortunately, you know, they're, they're either at the game or they're watching the game or whatever they know. And I'll even tell them uh, if it's somebody, you know, like toward the end of the season, we were interviewing uh, guys that were part of old championship teams. So we had Juan Pierre on, or we had Charles Johnson on. And I would ask him, I said, are you watching the game? And they said, yes, I've got the game. And I said, okay, good. I said, I'm not going to ask you to break down the game, but I just, just so if you see the third out of an inning happen, it makes it easier for me to cut you off that way. Like if you know there's a fly ball to center field and there's two outs, the guy's going to catch it, like start wrapping up your point as opposed to you carrying it on for another 45 seconds and then me saying, all right, got to go, talk to you later, bye-bye. You know, so it's, again, there's there's even prep work in that too, is just making sure that, that the guest knows what's going on. And, um, you know, if they have uh, an eye on the game, they'll know that, loud swing of the bat might be a home run to maybe step aside. But then there's other times too. I think we had, uh, I think we had Juan Pierre on it. Somebody hit a home run during a Juan Pierre at bat. And it just, I let him take the call, you know, just get, go ahead again. Like that's, that's the beauty of it. It's not, I'm not trying to take over every call. Like Isan Diaz's dad is going to get more excited than I ever will. No matter what Juan Pierre kind of off the cuff watching these games and seeing that is going to be a better reaction than me saying, Oh, line drive to right center field. And it's three, one Marlins, like whatever. I'll get 35 more of those another day. Like it's, it's no big deal, but we have one on now. Let, let that go. You know? And I, and again, I think that that's, that's all kind of part of that quarterback clock of knowing having a sensibility of, of what's okay and what's not, you know, no, nobody other than my mother and maybe my wife tune in to watch and listen to me. So I don't need to be the star of every play of every Homer of every strikeout. Um, so that, that's that. I have to ask though, you know, one of the things, or one, when you think of like broadcasting and baseball, you you come back to like people that have like a almost like a catchphrase or like a right. specific call the way they do something like uh, you, are you do you see yourself get into that position like on a home run call where you have a specific trademark almost that you know that's the home you. the home run call and people have asked me that a lot and i think it, it makes sense i mean but i it's not anything that i've gotten too crazy uh, about thinking about doing it. Uh, I'm not opposed to it if something happens kind of naturally. Um, I did notice that uh, early on, just out of like habit, I, I every home run was, and it's gone. And I was like, all right, well, that's kind of boring. So like, I don't, I don't want that to like be my thing. It's not original. It's nothing. But, uh, but 
I wanted to switch it up a little bit. And then I think I kind of settled on that because then, you know, sometimes it's going to be a low line drive and you're not sure it's gone. And sometimes it's going to be a 500 foot blast and you know, it's going to be gone. So how do you develop a call that's, that's good for both? So there might be, I, I, so the home run call, I guess, is not something that I've gotten too hung up on, but the, the, the call of a win, like it's a Marlins win. There you go. That came from knowing that I just, I, I, again, wanted something to be crisp and clean and not overly wordy and not overly cheesy, nothing. And what happened was, honestly, what happened, where, that, where the thought of that came from, not the phrase itself, but there was a game my first year, a few weeks in or whatever, and it was a double play ball. And the Marlins won the game on a double play. They, they, they turned a double play. And I, I said, you know, uh, whatever what it was, Rojas to Smith to Cooper, whoever was playing wherever. But, uh, and then I said, you know, Rojas, Smith, Cooper, ball game. And I didn't think much of it. And then like the next day, my producer said, hey, just a heads up, uh, the great Rich Waltz, um, that when the, when the game ended, that was his line. He would always say ball game. So then I thought, okay. And I didn't know that at the yeah. time or think about it in the moment. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't want to take his call or anything else. So I thought to myself, okay, I need to train myself mm-hmm. to say something else. So I need to come up with something that I can just say and just at the end of a game, just kind of put it in autopilot. And that's where that came from. And again, I, I, I guess it kind of sounds like a little bit like John Sterling, who does radio for the Yankees. It was, it was not my uh, intention. I'm sure if I sat and listened to the other TV and radio guys, it might be similar to some of the others. But when the Yankees win, he says, the Yankees win. Like, and that, I've always liked John Sterling. I know some people are, are kind of over it, but I, I still think that there's a certain charm there. Um, so, but it was not necessarily modeled after that. But again, it was just like, okay, say something that's simple and clean and, you know, something that I guess in the way back of my head, I thought if, if it catches on, you could throw it up on the scoreboard and, you know, like whatever, like they do it in other ballparks or whatever broadcasters have, you know, calls, they throw them up on the, on the big board after the game. So I just thought, okay. And then, so then I thought, all right, it's a Marlins win, but it, you know, it's like, we should put the emphasis on it. And then it's, it just went on from there. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's going to get me to Cooperstown or not, but. I, uh... No, but it's, <laughs> it's certainly, I mean, this is, this is the thing, right? When I think of Paul Severino, that's what I think of. I think <laughs> that, that phrase. So it isn't a home run call specifically, but like you said, it's hard for those to be multi-purpose because there's so right. many different types of home runs. So, right. You've got, and then if I want to mix in an oppo to boppo there, I could. You know what I'm saying? If I felt like the need to do that, I could do that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I I wasn't going to bring it up. That's a lie. I always was going to bring it up. Of course, (laughs) that that is funny. Um, And fair play, gotta gotta love Geff dropping that one in um, from, from nowhere on the radio. Uh, that was that was a lot of fun because he told me he said he said outright that is not my style. You know? 
But I think for me, Geff was riding the wave. I think he was just loving right. the style <laughs> Marte. You know, we were pouring it on against someone. I can't remember who, but right. I think it was the Phillies from memory. But anyway, um, right. That was a lot of fun. And, and, the, and the other thing too, like with, with the calls and you brought up Marte and that's a good example. Like it, it, for me, um, and I don't know, ask me this again, if I'm lucky to be doing this in five years or 10 years, and maybe I'll have a home run call by then. I don't know. But like when, when Marte, uh, you know, his first game with the Marlins, he's up and he's, he's, I think he was leading off the inning. And, you know, I just, as I'm setting up the inning, I, I said something like, you know, somebody has got to do something for the Marlins here. Excuse me. Maybe it'll be Marte. And on that pitch, maybe it's Marte. It's Marte. It's definitely Marte. Like, and if I had a home run call, I might not be able to get to that natural reaction, um, which, you know, again, I don't think that that's going to get me to Cooperstown, but was just a natural reaction. And I think that that's part of the essence of the good broadcasters is the, the professionalism, yes, but also the fact that they can react the same way a fan would at home from time to time and enjoy the moments the same way that the audience does. And, and again, we're all watching it together. I, you know, I mean, I'm sure that there are people that want the Marlins to win uh, more than me, uh, but uh, we all want them to win. It's it's good for all of us when they're winning. You know, it's it's a hell of a lot better when they're winning games. Absolutely on that one. Um, but uh, you're, the oppo with the Bobo was a funny, funny situation. <laughs> and what I realized from that, because you know, if if you if you didn't know where that came from, we're effectively doing what is like a live look-in type show, where we were all watching the games and um, doing it over Skype and just adding commentary on, on the game. And um, that's what's going on. What I realize is it's really hard to do with the monitors because you don't see for quite a long time where the ball is. So all right. you see is pitch, hit, sounds, sounds loud. Next thing is it's an infield fly. <laughs> the, you know, the, the hit and, and the sound, you're like, whoa, um, and actually what I've realized is you, you need to just say nothing for a period until you actually know where the hell the ball is, because right. I was getting way too carried away for just routine fly balls. Um, right. Well, and sometimes too, uh, and, and I'm not saying that I do this, uh, all the time either, but I know I've heard, I've heard this little tip from other broadcasters is that that's why a lot of broadcasters, um, will have a little phrase in there that, choose up enough time for them to think about in their mind how to describe the flight of the ball. Mm -hmm. So like when somebody will say, uh, you know, here comes the pitch, you know, and then that's the crack of the bat. Here comes the pitch line to right field. Like sometimes that happens, but other times it's, here comes the pitch swung on. And, and in that swung on and time, yeah. you can then formulate in your mind. Okay. Is it, is it lined? Is it scorched? Is it blitzed? Is it uh, you know, whatever? You can come up with a lot of different descriptors uh, for that. If you kind of build that into the rhythm of the call, uh, because, you know, early on, uh, again, I probably still make this mistake every once in a while, probably more so when we were doing games off monitors, because you're not there to see the flight of the ball, everything else, but, you know, that a high fly ball and it's really a high line drive 
Like there's the high fly balls yeah. and then there's like the high line drives, you know? So it's like, if you get into that habit of, of, of reacting too quickly, you might get yourself into a spot, back yourself into a corner where you're describing something that's not accurate, you know? Um, so I, I think that's, if you listen, like uh, Joe Buck does, he, and I don't even know if he, and I think he's ph phenomenal. Um, I don't even know if he knows what he's doing, but sometimes he'll say, and that's in the left field or something, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's just like, and I think I do that sometimes not even trying to emulate him at all, but no. um, that's, that's that little buffer where you can figure out what kind of, you know, is it, it's flicked, it's served, it's popped, it's chunked, it's chopped. It's that, you know, all these different words and phrases that you can use to, you know, sprinkle a little pepper on the broadcast, I guess. There you go. Pepper it is. <laughs> Speaking about pepper in the broadcast, um, it'd be wrong of, of me not to talk about, I guess, your partner in crime in many ways. You know, Holly's been there with you um, since, since you joined in 2018, right? And um, I think one of the funny things that, that started, you know, via Twitter and what some of the funny threads was viewers saying, I can't tell who's talking. Who's <laughs> sound the same? I mean, I didn't personally think that I could tell, but that was—I right. like, don't know if people were joking or, or anything. But do you think you sound anything alike to Holly when when you guys talk? Uh, my response to that is always, um, "Can't you tell I'm the handsomer one?" That's that's my response. But um, I, I think that there are times when we sound alike, but I think that that's also, um, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but to like the untrained ear in terms of, okay, like th this is where the play-by-play -play guy lives. Mm -hmm. The play-by-play -play guy is the, is the who and the what, and the analyst is on this side and he's the why and the how. So if, if we sound alike and I've heard it and from a lot of people and it is, you know, it is what it is. But uh, if, if we both do a good job of staying in our lanes, then we would get uh, mistaken for each other less, I think. And I, and I, and that's, to me, that's like, that's the delicate balance too, because um, you know, you, you don't want it to be so cut and dry of just play by play in a very granular sense of only calling the action you want it to be a little conversation and back and forth and and you know have it feel like there's two guys at a pub watching a game you know like that's what you want I think that's what people um enjoy listening to they want to feel like they're at home as the third or fourth or fifth or however many people they're with member of the group watching this game together yeah. um and I think that that's uh, that's where it gets tough is when we get into just like the conversations of just things, whatever it is that, uh, that we would each sometimes maybe go over each other's lane a little bit without putting a blinker on. So we just yeah. need to put the blinkers on a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, you guys, you know, you spend so much time together, you know, through, you know, normal Too much time. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I'm kidding. I wasn't going to say that, but I mean, <laughs> no, it's a lot though. It's an interesting question though. You know, I, I've got work colleagues. I like working with them, but you know, sometimes we have disagreements. So 
you know, is there, are there times when, let's say the relationship is a little bit strained, let's say, you know, a few days here or there? Uh, I've been, we've been fortunate, honestly, uh, that we get along really well. Um, and I hope some of that bleeds over into the broadcast, but yeah, I mean, we'll, so uh, here, here's kind of the, the gist of the amount of time we spend together. So uh, in a given game day uh, at home, so like I usually get to the ballpark games at seven. I usually get to the ballpark around three 30. Um, I start doing my scorecard and everything else and uh, get some of my notes together and whatnot. And, and then uh, in the normal world by about four o'clock, I'd go downstairs and, and on the field and sit and talk to Mattingly and, and listen to him talk with the media and then hang around by the batting cage. And then usually four thirty, five o'clock, something like that. Todd would show up. Uh, either at the cage if he had a question for somebody um, or hang up, uh, hang out up in the booth. And then, by, you know, by about 5.15, I head back up to the booth or whatever it is. Um, so then from roughly 5.15, 5.30 to 7, we're there. And then there's the game and then we leave. So there's five, six hours in a normal day that we're there. And then uh, on road games, we're on the bus together. We don't always necessarily sit next to each other, but we're, we're on the bus. We're in each other's presence on the bus. The bus usually gets us to the ballpark uh, earlier than either one of us maybe normally would get to the game on, on a home, a home game. So then we're together for another three or four hours, then the game, then the bus back. And then we sit next to each other on the plane so we sit next to each other on the plane and uh, while it's great travel, um, it's not as simple as walk on the plane and take off in five minutes. Like sometimes we're sitting on the plane for an hour as they load up the truck, uh, you know, off the truck, all the equipment and stuff like that. So, um, and then however long the flights are and then the bus to the ballpark or the bus to the hotel. So we spend a lot of time together and, uh, and he hasn't punched me yet, so that's good. <laughs> if that's if that's the barometer of success, then uh, <laughs> fair enough. It's a low bar. Um, <laughs> one other thing that I've always been uh, intrigued about, and you know, baseball's a long game. You've just mentioned it. So, you know, three four hours, let's say. Commercial breaks aren't that long, so. Do you go full Scott Hansen styley in terms of toilet breaks, or <laughs> do you somehow manage to squeeze out, you know, a quick forty-five minute, you know, run to the the gents and back? Uh, what? So my, uh, I I have what I like to call mind over matter bladder. <laughs> so I just try to tell myself that I don't have to pee. Yeah. Uh, but no, usually. So let's say the game starts at seven. So I have a. I, I am a creature of habit. I've, I've always felt much more comfortable with routines, which is, you know, maybe why I, I love baseball and love broadcasting baseball because every day for six months is pretty much the same. Mm. Um, so my routine usually starts around seven o'clock games. So say 640, um, 640, 645, I'll back it up. So now about 615, I'm done with my prep work and everything else. So 615, I'll eat my dinner. And then by about 6.40-ish, I'm done with dinner. Okay, so now I start, I put my shirt on, uh, I put my tie on, everything else. I maybe make a cup of coffee uh, and then put my makeup on. And then by about 
four, I'm going to the bathroom for hopefully the last time. Yeah. But then here's another little trick is you've also got to know because you, you mentioned it, those breaks are short. Do I, can I wait until the end of the game and then have no time limits or do I go now when I don't really have to go so bad, but I don't want to have to go so bad that I'm in the bathroom for two minutes. So that, so that usually sometimes that'll happen in like the seventh inning where it's like, okay, if I go now, I could be back in plenty of time. If I wait and this game goes 11 innings, well, now I'm going to be in the bathroom going for a little while. So then you gotta, you gotta make that decision. And that comes with experience, I guess. Uh, but even now, and, and I, to come back from a break and we've got sideline reporters and Todd can handle it for, you know, 30 seconds or whatever, if we come out of break and I'm late, but even now I still run to the bathroom back and forth. Like, I just, I don't want to miss a pitch. I don't want to miss anything. So I will, uh, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll stand up with two outs and I'll get ready to go. And then, and, uh, three, two, as we go to the sixth and bang, there goes the headset. I run out, I run back and we're ready to go. But it's, you, you, you got to know where the, you got to know where the bathrooms are. You got to chart your course. Like I said before, you got to chart your course. You got to know where the bathrooms are. <laughs> you go. These are all the bits of preparation, right? You got to Right. Know. Exactly. This is survival, survival mode. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> um, so, you know, you joined the Marlins in 2018 and it was the way things played out and we won't dwell on this moment, but I think it's, it's, Funny in some ways, but I'm interested to get your take on it. Marlin, the Marlins end up the first the first game, Marlins Cubs, first game of the whole MLB season. Oh um, god, the, yeah. The way the timing's worked out. We, <laughs> you know, we're rolling into the season. It's your first uh, time on, you know, for the regular season anyway, on the broadcast. And um Arena's on the mound, feeling good about it. The sun's out. <laughs> first pitch, everyone's you know excited. Yeah. <laughs> destroys one, <laughs> one. And then, that, you know what do you do oh my god that was uh, that was uh one of the funnier moments because you're <laughs> right it was the only game in town yeah. for about an hour and you know the place is pretty packed and uh yeah the sun is shining and it's a it's a new chapter in my life and it's a you know a new chapter with new ownership for the marlins and everything else and here we go. And on the first pitch, first pitch, and it's gone. And the thing, and what was actually funny was that the previous year, I did a couple of games for MLB Network. Um, and both of those games that I did for MLB Network had leadoff home runs. So I actually had in three straight games that I had done leadoff home runs. And and I'm not going to say that I predicted it, but as we went, I went into the uh, Cubs booth before the game just to talk with, uh, with Len Casper before the game, everything else. And he said, hey, just a heads up, um, Ian Happ had, I think it was like four or five leadoff home runs in the spring. So he, he gets after it early. I said, okay. And then I said, and, you know, pair that with the fact that the last two games I did both had leadoff home runs. I said, he might do one today. And then boom, there it was. Uh, that was, that was hilarious. And I got, I got so many texts shortly after that about people saying, wow, what a start that was. <laughs> and then, and then, the, but then the next night, the next night they played 17 innings. Yeah. So 
And, and actually, here's another bonus, right? So we're talking about the call and, and mixing my dad into it, everything else. So the first Marlins win that I called was a 17-inning game. So again, it was like my dad was, was there with me. So that was, uh, that was quite the start. The leadoff home run on the first stinking pitch and then uh, a five-hour and 45-minute game on night two, knowing that there were only 162 left to go and that uh, the season was almost over. <laughs> wowzers, wowzers. And, and how, you know, listen, the Marlins pre-2020, it, it's, it's been tough, right? How, how tough is it, though, for you, Holly, you know, just keeping the juice in the booth, right, when you're into August, September, the Marlins season is obviously done. It's, it's off-road. How tough is it to kind of keep the juice going? Um. It, it is and it isn't. I think that, uh, and again, maybe I'm, it's, it's better for me because I've only been doing it for a couple of three seasons. So it's still kind of new. You know, I haven't been doing it for 40 years and, you know, and I could see the finish line. Um, so for me, and again, I kind of knew where it was headed, meaning where it's, going and where it's in 2020, but also knowing how it was going to have to go to get there, knowing that there'd probably be some tough seasons. Um, and I said this, uh, I don't think I ever said it on the air, but it was kind of my mindset was we're not doing one season of baseball. We're doing 162 games. So you might as well just have that mindset of doing the game today. And they have a chance to win a game today. Now they may have lost yesterday. They may have lost six in a row, um, but they have a chance to win a game today. And what do they have to do to win that game today? And what stories uh, can we tell? And, and, and I think it, it wasn't hard to get excited for the games because again, I think that, um, and I hope I never lose it, uh, an appreciation for how rare these jobs are and that I have one of them and I, I want to treat every day like it's my last because you never know. Um, so there's that element to it. Um, but, you know, also the fact that uh, you never know who's watching either. And when I say that, like, I mean, I'm not talking about my bosses or, or, you know, anybody with the Marlins, but, you know, when somebody comes into a game and they're making their major league debut. And we've got a million of those the last few years. Mm -hmm. the, the only people that really care that, that this guy's making his major league debut are his wife, his girlfriend, his, his kids, his aunts, his uncles, his mom, his dad, everything else. And I think you owe it to them and the, and that player in that moment uh, to, to take it seriously. And whether he's coming in and it's 12 to one and the Marlins are losing or it's, three, three, and he gives up the home run that, you know, uh, that costs them the game. It's still a moment that, that this player's worked for, for their whole life. And, yeah. you know, it's this, it, it's the same thing for me, right? Like I worked my whole life for this moment and you just, you want it to go right. Or you, you know, how many people helped you along the way. And that's who I think you owe it to is those, those folks. Um, and just, just so that this player who may end up in the hall of fame or, you know, and I've said this before, like one of the, one of the blessings of this job the last few years has been not only have I gotten to call some guys firsts, homers, wins, strikeouts, whatever, 
But the way that things have gone the last few years, I got to announce some of these guys onlys too. And, you know, not everybody is Mike Trout and Bryce Harper and Clayton Kershaw and Max Scherzer. Um, And some of these guys are, you know, going to be up for a day or a week and maybe we never see them again, but that's a moment that they may play back every once in a while or, you know, when their, you know, son or daughter is 13 years old, like, Hey, dad used to play in the big leagues and here was my major league debut. And if Todd and I are sitting there, you know, pissed off because the game's taking four hours and, you know, Joe Schmo gets to come in the game and, Oh, well, Joe Schmo's making his major league debut. But let me tell you about this lousy restaurant I was in last week. Like that doesn't really do the guy justice. And no. that's a, that's a moment that, uh, that he'll remember forever. And again, maybe that's the, the first time, of many and maybe that's the only time that he's in the big leagues but i think that that's that's in the back of my mind too in terms of uh making sure that you try to treat every game and every day and uh you know in every moment like it's like it means something and it's not yeah. just you know just a number just one of 162. well it, this is a nice segue into the 2020 season because when you talk about debuts <laughs> this, if this, if you like debuts, this was the season for you. You pitched in the game this year, didn't you? I felt like you did. Everybody else did. I'm pretty sure. I, I'm pretty sure <laughs> I did. I was, you know, I was taking ground balls in my garden actually at one point. <laughs> you know, it was important to stay, stay in touch. But, um, you know, from your perspective, how, how tough is it when you come back after the COVID break and there's 18 new guys on the roster? Yeah. And some of which weren't Marlins before they, you know, it was a piece together, Mike Hill extravaganza. I'll describe it as for a roster. <laughs> you know, you've got two guys there, both called Josh Smith. So you're now oh my God. middle names and middle, um, middle letters and all sorts. So I think guys walking out the bullpen, I think, I think Donnie personally, there was people walking out the pen and Donnie didn't know who they were. But from your Oh yeah. He met them on the mound. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I, I tweeted that out, too, that at one point they had a Caleb Smith, a two Josh Smiths, a Moran, a Morin, and Pat Venditti, who threw with both arms. Yeah. Like, well, what are we doing here? Um, so, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting because what, you know, it I don't know if it was fortunate or what, uh, but so you, you prepare for a season. Uh, as a broadcaster, and I try to get some notes uh, on everybody that we, we that we'd probably see, just so I have a little bit of a running start. And so we get that done, and then all of a sudden, eighteen of those guys are gone. So then it's like it's back to the drawing board, uh, and and the fact that like I did a lot of that stuff in December, January, February, getting ready for the season, and then didn't really do much for like three or four months. But then when you start to realize, hey, baseball is going to come back, now you start to get back into the prep again. And then you're like, all right, that's pretty good. I got it. Now, now there's no excuse. I know just everything about these guys. I know what they brought at the grocery store last week. Like, you know, I got it all. And then all of a sudden, those guys are disappeared. It's like, oh, here we go again. So, and some of these guys, I mean, you say that there was nothing on some of these guys. There was nothing on some of these guys. Like this was, it was unbelievable. And it wasn't, um, that's the thing. It wasn't one. It was like four or five guys that you'd never heard of. Uh, And, uh, but again, like that, that was the thing. It's, it's, you you try to find something 
that you can that's that's somewhat relevant. I actually had something on Ryan LaVarnway that uh, he had, what did he have? I think he had like nine home runs in his career. You know what? Bear with me. I'm going to find out. I'm going to give it to you because I never got to say it on the air. I go. never got to say it on the air. So you're going to get a little, it's going to be special. Let me get this here because I keep all my notes digitally. So I should be able to find things rather quickly. Okay. Marlon's notes. He'd be under my extras. I'm Ryan, Lev Ryan LaVarnway. Here we go. Home run quirks. You ready? Is this going to open for me? Oh, come on, baby. Uh, is it going to open? This is this is good uh, podcasting right here. Come this, on. I'm having flashbacks of a Boog Shombi episode here where he No, here we go. I got it. I got it. Here we go. I got it. This is great. He has nine career home runs. His first career home run came on September 27, 2011. His second home run came four innings later. There's a multi-home run game. His most recent home run came on July 19, 2019, which was also part of a multi-home run game. Two of his nine career home runs have come on September 4th, but that was not a multi-home run game, but rather on the same calendar day, one year apart. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. So that's what I was doing as the Marlins were in their quarantine in a Philadelphia hotel. I was trying to find out all the days on which Ryan LaVarnway hit home runs. Thank you and good night. I don't think this podcast, I think, I don't think we, we just need to cut it there and then. <laughs> another, another funny story for me through the, particularly the back end of the year was the trying to find the right nickname for James Hoyt. I found that just a funny situation <laughs> where I think you raised it. Holly kind of threw out his idea. And then I think you both kind of looked at each other and went, I'm not sure if we're on the right track. Let's kind yeah. of out there and whatever. But that for me was a funny little story. I'm not sure where it landed. Do you know, do you know where uh, I think you were probably on the Zoom. Someone asked him. So I threw out uh, a few of them, but one that I kind of liked that was a little bit off the beaten path was uh, the lobber. Mm -hmm. And the lobber meaning like he lobs, he throws, right? So he's a pitcher, but lob is in like left on base. And that's what he was doing a lot of was leaving guys on base. So I said the lobber. And uh, so uh, Jessica Blaylock, one of our sideline reporters, asked him in a Zoom one day and she listed off all of them and uh, that we had come up with. Yeah, you're right. Probably eight or nine of them. And she said, you know, the, the cleaner, the fireman. The, and you were right on the fireman, by the way. I think I gave you credit for that. You, did. Um, you nailed it. And uh, so he said the lobber. And then somebody, uh, the PR guy, Jason Latimer said, yeah, like left on base. And he goes, oh, I kind of like that one. And then he said, but I like the cleaner. So I think we landed on the cleaner. He was the cleaner. <laughs> I remember it now. Holly's straight up call. The initial one that he threw out there was the mop. <laughs> mop, yeah. I go, mop, what are you doing the mop? Mop, the mop's the guy who cleans it up when it's like 15 to one. What are you doing a mop? Come on. Loved it, loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Funny story, but you know when we when we think of this 2020 season, I mean, how could you even summarize this 2020 season? It's Oof. insane. So much went on. Yeah, it, it is. It's uh, man, I don't know. I I don't on a personal level, it it's it's crazy. It's weird. Like 
we, we as broadcasters and those of us that, you know, don't do other sports. So the math on this is from September of 19 to when we started in end of July. So that's 10 months. Mm -hmm. Then we worked for two months and then we're off for another six months. So for 18 months of our lives, we will have worked for two months. That's, that's insane. And I think along that line, and I, I want to say this too, along that line with everything that's been going on in everybody's lives and, and all that stuff. And the fact that we were, you know, craving sports and craving baseball and, and whatnot. The fact that we only worked for two months, like that was another reason to go back and piggyback on what you said before was like, that's another reason why it was important for me to treat every day. Like it was not just another day, but something special because um, there's no excuse. There's no excuse to be burnt out. We were only doing uh, 60 games. There's no excuse to be burnt out. We weren't traveling. We weren't getting into cities at four in the morning. Um, they were playing really good baseball. There was no excuse to be checked out. We had had not only the normal six months off, but we had another four months off to do some extra prep to find those stinking home run facts that I found on Ryan LaVarnway. Um, and then we were going to be off for another six months after. So it was, um, you know, there was no excuse to not bring it every day. Um, so, so there was that. How would I summarize this year? My God, uh, how many words do I have? I mean, like exhilarating, exciting, unpredictable. Um, there's just so much stuff on the baseball side of things. And, um, you know, I, I, I think also hopefully what this year did was um, accelerate the Marlins path to do more of this. And, and I think that a lot of people had such a good time uh, watching this team. And I know that there have been a lot of folks who've been uh, fans that have been kind of burned by previous ownership groups that, okay, they were good this year and, and they're chasing down a title and it didn't work. So we got to break it down again. Um, that's, that's not the case. I mean, if, if every single player that this team has pans out, um, then a great, but B there won't be enough spots on the field for everybody and you won't be able to pay everybody. So there, there might be, and I don't know who it is. And I don't even, I, I, for, I don't even want to go too far down that path, but there's, there's probably going to be, you know, a couple of players that we talk about now that in five or six years are not part of the organization, but it's not going to be at the scale that it had been in the past. And, you know, a lot of people had said, oh my gosh, look at this. What if, you know, Real Muto and Stanton and Yelich and Ozuna were still all here and Dee Gordon were still all here, then they would have beaten the Braves. If those guys were all here, they wouldn't have been facing the Braves. See, that's the thing. That, that's what people sometimes don't totally understand is that, um, you know, they, the organization had those players and still couldn't figure it out. Yeah. And maybe at some point they could have, I don't know, but it wasn't going to be something that was going to last every single year, right? Like would Yelich have gotten his secondary deal? Would Ozuna be able to get $18 million a year if the Marlins still had the $330 million left on or 295, whatever the number is for Stanton? Like it, it was not, here's the analogy I always use is that when the new ownership group took over, they took over a really nice looking house. But when they went in the house, they flipped the switch and the switch didn't work. 
So they call an electrician in and you know, that, that, that the wiring's a little bit off. So then they have to take down the wall to get in the wires and fix the wires. And then once they get behind the wall, they see that there's a little pipe that's leaking. And that's why there's a little stain on the ceiling upstairs, downstairs. So now you got to get a plumber in there and you, okay, well now there's, a, and it just, at some point you break the whole thing back down to the studs to build the house up the right way. So the electrical works, so the plumbing works, so the vents work for air conditioning, you know, like all those things have to go right. And just because you're standing on the sidewalk and look at the house and it looks beautiful, doesn't mean it's operating perfectly. And I think that's what was going on with the organization before that they had to make these decisions that were not easy because it, it definitely, uh, upset a fan base that had already been upset and burned before. And I think that they appreciated, not appreciated, but understood that yeah. and, and knew, okay, we know what it looks like we're doing, but that's not it. We're doing this so that we can build it up the right way so that we can be good every year and be great every once in a while and be champions somewhere in there too. And I think that, that hopefully 2020 um, showed some doubters that were, you know, around in, in late 17 and early 18 when all those trades were going down. That's why it happened yeah. that way was so that you could get it right now. And it's not just a nice house from the sidewalk. It's a nice house when you go in it. Um, and it's a, it's a big house for a lot of, a lot of Marlins fans now. So Oh boy, it is. That is true. That's my analogy. It's a nice analogy. Firstly, have you been, have you seen my house? Cause it is exactly that. We bought this house a year ago. <laughs> it looks great from the outside, but it is, it is a dog's dinner inside. It's needed <laughs> renovations. We're, we're working our way through anyway. Uh, so that's, that's a, that's a separate note, which is personal to me. Um, but, uh, <laughs> the it, it's tough. I can testify. I only became a fan in 2016, so I'm not, I haven't been around following the team since inception, but you know, I, I started following the team because I saw Stanton hit that home run in Marlins Park. I was like, wow, this dude's incredible. Followed him in that season where he just hit tons of home runs and it was awesome to watch. To see him go was very, you know, it was difficult as a fan. It's difficult to see someone that you've, a player like you've never seen before in many ways. And I hadn't, like he just was incredible. So, but the thing for me though, I... I understood. I think that's the point you made was the new ownership group comes in, they lay out the plan, the strategy, and I understood it and they haven't wavered and they're, right. they're delivering on it. And I think for me, that's the heartening thing is they, they had a clear vision and they're executing and we're seeing the signs of that now. And for me, it was an awesome glimpse yeah. into what the future holds in 2020. I know the team in a 162 would have thought we think we can do something, but over 162 and a standard playoff format, would it have been enough with the Braves that we know are stacked and they, they were going to be stacked. But for us to get and have this glimpse into the playoffs, into the postseason, get in was absolutely awesome. Yeah. Awesome and, to watch. yeah and there's, there's more players coming that were either maybe on the taxi squad or were at the alternate site that weren't even a part of it. There's, there's more coming, right? There's more of these guys that are coming. There's more options uh, for Michael Hill and Don Mattingly and their staff and everything else. Um, 
and whatever they do on the free agent market this offseason, we'll all find out together. But I think the other uh, part of it that shouldn't go uh, overlooked either is that there were enough guys who we think will be part of the core going forward that got a taste of, even though it, it wasn't, you know, 35,000 screaming fans in city field in the last week of the season, or, you know, Yankee stadium rocking on a Saturday night when they, you know, need a win or whatever it is. Um, even though there wasn't that there was still all of those other little things and the, and the little, the, preparations for how to get ready for a postseason game that guys like jazz or Monte uh, or Sandy Sixto Pablo, all these guys got a taste of it. And I think that all of that experience is going to bode well for them and for the, the, the guys next behind them um, to get that little taste. And listen, I mean, uh, you know, Derek Jeter was on that 96 team. Um, they got to the postseason in 95, the Yankees did, and, and Derek wasn't on the roster, but he's with the team. So he's a rookie in 96 and he came up with big hits. Like I'm, I've listen again, I've never been in those moments. I've never taken an at bat in the seventh inning of game five of the world series or whatever, um, to know what it's like, but you know, he, he, he made it seem pretty easy, pretty quick. And yeah. you don't, you don't know how it is until you get that experience. Um, and some of these guys, a lot of these guys got a taste of that experience. And I think that that is going to mean something going forward for them. Um, so listen, it's uh, they fell short of their goal yet also surpassed it this year. I don't know. It's a, it's a funny little, funny little way to do it, but um, yeah. it, it was fun to watch. And again, I think that there's, there's a lot more in the tank. Nice summary. Nice summary that for sure. And just a couple of final ones before we let you go. Otherwise, this will um, will become a three-parter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take us all the way to opening day. It's, <laughs> it's been an awesome, awesome conversation. But Absolutely, man. The, the, the media Zoom calls, I just wanted to get your take on them because um, in, normal, in a normal season, would I think you've already mentioned anyway? You'd you'd be in there, right? You'd be in the locker room pre-game. You'd be involved here and then, but that obviously wasn't possible this year. How did you find that delivery mechanism in terms of Zoom only? Um, was was that more difficult for you because you could only speak to who was up on the, I guess, on the podium, right? Uh, yes, in that form, yes. But again, I, I think fortunately um, I've made a, a few connections with some of these guys that I was able to reach out to them in other ways and not overdo it. Um, but just talk to them about, you know, like I reached out to John birdie the day after he, you know, stole four bases, three bases and stole home and stumbled into the plate and everything else. I just sent him a text. I said, dude, that was unbelievable. I had never seen anything like that before. Um, and those are, and I, you know, when I reached out to the guys in, um, probably, you know, mid to late July, uh, just a few guys. I said, listen, if, if you're uncomfortable with me reaching out to you, then that's, that's fine. I totally understand. Um, I'm not going to wear you out, but I just want to be able to talk to you if possible about the same things that I would talk to you about, um, you know, around the cage or in the clubhouse or something like that. And they were all great about it. Um, and again, you, you 
don't want to cross any lines or ask questions that of and, and expect answers that you know you're not going to get. Um, but just keep some kind of personal connection. Um, so, so I was able to do that. Uh, and then every once in a while, was maybe every series or every other series, um, the broadcasters were able to stay on for a few extra minutes with Donnie uh, and just get some extra kind of private stuff um, that we could use on the broadcast. Um, so it, I think for, for what we're all going through right now, I think it, uh, I think it worked. And I think, you know, I think sometimes... I, I, again, fortunately it wasn't much, but there were a few times where I'd seen, you know, some people tweet like, Oh, this is the same stuff that, you know, Paul's bringing up the same stuff that was on the zoom. Like nothing's original. And it's like, okay, but here's the deal is like 99% of the people at home aren't on the zooms <laughs> number one. Yeah. And number two, um, like they're, they're not, watching the zooms when they get home from work. Like they're lucky enough to put on four innings of the game, you know, like they may not be watching from seven o'clock to 10 o'clock with no other sound and just watching the game intently and charting every pitch. Like people do other stuff and they come in and out and like it, we did, I think we all, not just me, not just me and Todd, not just the Marlins group. I think all of the broadcasters uh, did the, and when I say broadcasters, I mean like TV crews as well, uh, did the best that we could with, with the situations that we had, you know, I think that, um, you know, every, everybody, the players and, and team and stuff were trying to stay in their little zones and their little bubbles. And, and we tried to, we had to respect that. Um, but also know that, you know, it was a little bit different that they had to find their own new routines on when they could hit and when they could take ground balls. And now they got to figure out how to get on a zoom call with us and, you know, it's just, everybody's, you just, you try to make the best of it as best you can. And, um, and again, I, fortunately I had some good connections with these players that they were, uh, open to talking to me every once in a while and clarifying questions or, you know, whatever, Hey, great start last night, whatever it was. So, uh, it was, it was good. Some great dudes in that clubhouse though. The, yeah. The, the personalities and, you know, like you said, the zoom stuff, no one watches that really. No one has access to it, but as right. you, know, you know, I sat there on, on them with you and, you know, got to learn more about the guys and their personalities and, and who they are and, and how they interact with the media. I guess, you know, that isn't always, you know, how they are truly outside of it, but um, you know, nevertheless, a lot of them I feel are really open and honest and it's awesome to, to really understand, you know, some of the guys in particular, just, you know, whenever, Monte Harrison was on the zooms you knew it was going to be an awesome zoom I would just oh yeah did not lack confidence at all <laughs> not at all legendary but yeah. I tell you who really kind of grew into them for me was Sandy as the season went on Sandy just the confidence was just oozing from yeah. the guy and he wasn't afraid to just put it out there and I you know yeah. for me, it was it was great to hear and think that helped um, the team, but, and Kinsler as well was just. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> it was fantastic. I, the first time I met him was uh, at fan fest in uh, February, I guess it was. And we were on the, you know, we had a few Marlins uh, members and, and season ticket folks that were there and a little meet and greet or whatever. And you could, I could tell them that he was uh, uh, like a fun guy, but also, 
had leadership qualities about him and, and a little bit of fire in there too, like a little bit of that underdog type of fire yeah. um, that, you know, we're not going to be pushed around. And I think that, um, that we saw more of that this year from more guys individually and collectively. And I think that that's a big reason as to why they ended up doing what they did. They were just sick and tired of being pushed around by everybody, you know? And I think that, uh, you know, the, the bottom feeder thing was, I think it was something that was, that was said and that was heard this year, but I know that it's something that had been said or whispered um, in years past. And I think that they're just sick and tired of listening to that. And I, and I think that that's, it was awesome to see that, that they were, you know, they were, they were going to fight back and they were going to, you know, try to punch the other team in the mouth and they may not have won every brawl that they were in, but they weren't going to go down without swinging. And I think that that's, um, and I, I say this all figuratively, not literally, we know that there's enough of a, you know, bad blood between them and the Braves. So I say this all figuratively, but, um, it, you know, it was good to see. And I think that, that there, there was a, there was certainly a, a toughness with this club this year that, uh, that I think will only continue to grow in years, in years to come. Yeah. Agreed. Well, listen, final one from me, give me your main highlight, the main, when you think back to 2020 and, you know, in, in five, 10 years, what moment will stick in your mind that, you'll think of this season, you know, and there's, there's tons of them, the yeah. of, but what's, what's there for you? Wow. Um, you know, that's, that's a great question. Um, and I think now that I have all this time in my hands, I, I might go back and I'm not going to write a book or anything, but maybe it'll be a coloring book, but I'm going to look at all the different um, moments or days that stood out. And I'll say this, like the, the, the day that stood out um, when, uh, you know, they came out of quarantine and Pablo was unbelievable in Baltimore or the Sunday before the quarantine when Miggy hit the home run or when they had to fly to New York for a day and face DeGrom for a 15th time in a row um, or Marte's homer or Alfaro's walk-off. There's a million of those. But if I, I think of like the moment um, – I think part of it is uh, is selfish with me that like that the 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 call at the end when they got to the postseason for the first time because there was a little like I said before a little bit of that hat tip to my dad in there, mm -hmm. um, and and also what that meant to so many Marlins fans and really so many Marlins doubters too. I yeah. think that uh, you know that because that was such a driving force throughout the whole season was how they were going to prove people wrong. Um, and then they got to a point where they did that and they achieved that. Um, and I think that that, even in that last week, I mean, we're counting down the magic numbers and it looked like it was a sure bet. And then all of a sudden it's not so sure of a bet anymore. Uh, you know, there was some, there was some drama there. Um, so it was, uh, I think that that's probably the one that I would look at, um, you know, as, as a, as a little bit of a, maybe more so because it's more of a culmination of the whole season and everything that went into it, uh, that I would, I would probably focus on that and remember that I'll remember them all, especially after I write them down. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to this book. I mean, <laughs> Make sure I get a copy of that coloring book for sure. 
Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the thing about that game as well, that again, ties it into Marlins history is it was on the day of Jose Fernandez's passing too. So yeah. it, it just knitted everything together in many ways, both for you personally, but Marlins wise too. It was, yeah. you know, a big, big day and will be a big day in our history. Like I said, it's going to be a proud moment for you in five, 10, 20 years, 50 years time, whatever it is, people look back and they'll hear Paul Severino making that call. Mickey yeah. Rowe on the, on the <laughs> double play to finish it off. So. Right. Incredible. Right. Yeah. And, th- and that, that was another reason when I, you know, it was, it wasn't like the, the, the actual call, but it was kind of all embedded in, in the, the, the minutes after the call was um, <clears throat> again, I was glad I was able to find the right words for it was, you know, I said, you know, with this organization, there's been a lot of trials and tribulations. And on a day like today, you know, thinking of, of Jose, a lot of tragedy as well. But now there's there's some triumph to go along with it, too. I, I remember saying saying that and thinking that and uh, and being able to deliver it the right way. Yeah. Paul Severino, this has been epic. That is the word <laughs> that I will use. This has been an epic podcast. Um, a lot of fun. I tip my hat to you for all the work you, you've done and that you did like, you know, dealing with what you had to deal with this year, which was not easy. Broadcasting games from the, the demo den on monitors could not be easy. But I must say, in, in my opinion, it was, it was a world-class production. The, the broadcast was, was world-class and you guys do a great job. Um, thank you. So thank you. It's awesome. And I, I, I echo what you said right at the top. It's, it was, I, I missed your voices in the playoffs, the postseason. I wanted to hear your voices there too, because that's what we get accustomed to. That's what we like to hear. But, you know, I think Boog held it down well anyway. Right. Absolutely. And I, I, I've heard this before too, uh, that national announcers are liked, local broadcasters are loved. So hopefully... Hopefully I get to that loved part soon. <laughs> and let me say this too, before we go, I mentioned, I meant to mention this earlier. Uh, when you were on those media zooms, your questions and your perspective was fantastic. Uh, a lot of the things that, uh, that you brought up were, uh, it made me think, Oh, I never thought of it that way. So I wanted to commend you on, on some of that and more so than just, you know, popping on and, and asking some dumb question just because you have the right to do it. Uh, there was there was thought and there was perspective in there that uh, that was good. So nice job. Appreciate it. Well, we'll have a virtual hug because that's all. We've <laughs> um, that's going to wrap it up for this one. Episode seventy four is in the books. Paul Severino, I thank you for your time. Firstly, your insight, <laughs> which has been awesome, and um, we'll look forward to having you back on our screens. Well, six months time, I guess now. But- sure. Yeah. Right. I'll be older, I'll be gray or longer beard, but I'll be much better barbecuer by then. There you go. There you go. I'm looking forward <laughs> to you and, you and Joe having a, having a cook-off competition or something. <laughs> we'll look forward to that one. So thanks again, Paul. Great to have you on. Guys, that's episode 74 in the books. We'll be back with episode 75 next week when the UK regular goats return and it will be our season review podcast so stay tuned for that one thanks again paul we'll hopefully have you back on soon absolutely